Three of you, right on. Good job. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning, and uh, I'm excited for what the Lord has for us today. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're continuing a series that we began last week uh, entitled, Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor. And last week, we, we kicked it off by talking about the Good Samaritan, uh, a story that, that many people uh, whether inside of the church or people who really aren't regular church attenders or maybe never been to church, uh, there's one of those stories that kind of goes outside of uh, those circles and, and impacts people. The Good Samaritan, of, co- of course, the story that Jesus tells of this Jewish man who gets jumped on the road uh, going down the mountain, mountain pass, and uh, some robbers come out, beat him, strip him, and leave him for dead. And three people come by and see him on the side of the road. The first is a priest. The second is a Levite who also worked in the temple. And the third is, a, as Jesus said, a despised Samaritan. And out of the three, the only one who stopped to help this Jewish man was the despised Samaritan. And of course, Jesus is responding to a question posed to him by an expert in the law who, who really is wanting to know, how, how can I be saved? How do I know that I'm, I'm good, that, that I'm good in the eyes of God? And Jesus asks him, well, what does the scripture say? You know what the scripture says. And the guy says, yes, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, that, Jesus says that's exactly right. And then, of course, the man says, wanting to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? And in essence, what he was asking is, who is it that I don't get to love? What's, what's the least I have to do to be okay? And it's at that point that Jesus shares the story of the Samaritan. And what he really does is he kind of goes overboard. He goes to the, the opposite extreme to say, listen, here's, here's this guy, this despised Samaritan who should have been the last person who cared for this man who got robbed, yet he's the one who did something about it, Right? And then his response is, who is, the, who is most like a neighbor to that man? And of course, the expert in the law can only answer, well, the one who treated him kindly. And then Jesus' instruction was, go and do the same. And so for us, when it comes to loving our neighbor, uh, the reality is that Jesus in his word tells us no one gets left out of that. There's no one that, that gets excluded for whatever reason we can come up with, and can, I, can we just agree, we can come up with some pretty good reasons, right? Anyone? Right? We can come up with some pretty good reasons why I shouldn't love so-and-so, or they did this to me, or they did that to me, or, you know, 25 years ago. Listen, if a sentence starts with 25 years ago, there's probably some things that God needs to do on the inside of you. Well, there's something that God needs to do on the inside of all of us. We get hung up on stuff, and then we choose to not love people because it's a choice. And God says, wait a minute, that's not my heart. That's not my heart. I want to continue the conversation today, but we're going to to kind of bring it close to home. Because over the next few weeks, the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some of the issues happening in our nation. And, uh, you know, if you follow the news at all, or if you're on Twitter... Um, and happen to follow certain people, uh, you might have heard that there's some controversy going on, and there's just like this, there's such tension in our nation, and there's such, uh, I'd say, you know, people, people are fighting and arguing, and there's words, and there's, there's issues, and there, and there always are, but the Bible tells us that the things that are the issue are never really the issue. 
right? It's always what's behind it. What's, what's the enemy seeking to do? He's seeking to divide and conquer us. And so it, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some real conversation about what, what we see, not from my perspective, but from a biblical, biblical perspective of what's happening in the world. But before we can talk about out there, we need to talk about right here and right here, right? Because if we're not, if we're not loving here, we're not going to love out there. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says that the world will know us, his followers, by what? By love that we have for each other. It starts here. It has to start here. Um, you know, earthquakes have been in the news a lot. Of course, with, uh, with Mexico, a couple of earthquakes there. It was a significant earthquake in Japan. Um, you know, we used to live in Alaska where daily... It was a daily thing. There were seven or eight earthquakes a day in the state of Alaska. Did you know that? It's kind of kind of interesting. Um, now they're not all massive earthquakes, but but there's some some really. In fact, the largest earthquake recorded in North America happened in Anchorage in the 1960s, and uh, and it's amazing to still go and see the destruction that took place there. Earthquakes are fascinating to me. I, I didn't grow up in a place where there were, were earthquakes. In fact, my first earthquake experience was here in L.A. We were traveling through, staying in a hotel, and, um, and you remember, some of you will remember this, we had a TV in the room that wasn't mounted to the wall because it was just a big box, and it was an old metal rolling cart. Anyone remember those? And then there was a big cable box that sat right on top of the TV. And I woke up to the room moving, and then that cable box falling off of the TV and crashing on the ground. And, and, and this kid who grew up in a place where there's never any earthquakes is going, what is happening here? This is crazy. You know, and, and then later on we discover what earthquakes are. And, um, and, and whenever there's an earthquake, you know, you know kind of what they, they talk about. What's one of the first things they bring up on the news? Where the epicenter is, right? Where was it located? Where was the, where was the point of origin? How deep was, how, was it? You know, where the, the point where it started uh, and, and what, you know, what kind of earthquake it was. And then I have a friend who's a, a geologist. In fact, Brian Olson, who came and preached a few months ago. He's a geologist. And I always check Brian's Facebook to find out, you know, if there's been an earthquake. Okay, let's see what Brian has to say because it's super interesting. But we go back to the epicenter and it's that point, that point of origin. And it kind of works out. From there, we trace it back to its epicenter. My desire, my prayer for our church, and I believe God's desire for his church more than my desire, is this, that we would be an epicenter of love. That we would be, if we would look at all the good things happening in the world around us, and people had to trace it back to, where is this coming from? I mean, something's happening in a community, and man, it's just that community's being transformed. What, what can we trace it back to? That, that we would always be able to trace it back to the church, and not to a building, not to an edifice, not to a, a name, but to a people who are just simply living out the love of Jesus Christ every day in our lives. That's, that's God's desire for our church. That's my desire for this local expression of the body of Christ. That in our community, that as people would trace back the good things, the love, the acceptance, the forgiveness that's taking place, that they would go, wait a minute, there's a common thread here. It's the church. Not just for our church, but every church. Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church in our community. Yet so often, that's not the case, is it? 
That we live in a world where the church is probably on the receiving end of blame more than it is on praise for the love. And, and here's the thing. A lot of that blame is not unfounded, right? That we've not been the expression of love that God calls us to be. That we've dropped the ball, church. We've dropped the ball. We need to be a movement that we love, care for, encourage, and reach the world around us. In fact, it's nothing new. Acts chapter 2, take a look at what happened here. The early church, the very first church as we know it, though it looked very different to what we have uh, structurally, um, it was the first place where believers came together, and, and it wasn't just a few of them. In response to the preaching of the gospel by Peter, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. That church exploded. That's serious church growth. And here's what marked this church right out of the gate. From the very first day, here's what, what it says was happening. Starting in verse 44, and all the believers, okay, let me stop. The word all is important for us to note. Not some of the believers, there was a handful that got together and talked about it, and the rest just did whatever. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, not just those in the church. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here's why. Because when we love the way that Jesus calls us to love, we're irresistible. Let me say it again. When we love the way that Jesus has called us to love, we're irresistible to people. They want what we have. And I'm not saying Jesus is irresistible. It's Jesus in us. And we become the kind of people that everyone else wants to hang out with. I get emails every week, multiple, multiple, multiple emails about church growth and strategies, and, and there's value to all of these studies, and there's diligence in all of this, but, but really, it's, a, it's, it's secondary to love. If we would simply love the way Jesus has called us to love, we would be irresistible. So let me ask you, are you irresistible. As you think through your week, through your day, your workplace, your home, your school, are you irresistible? Something to ponder. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Acts chapter 4 verse 32, it's not just a one-time occurrence. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Let me ask you something. Does this sound like the church in America? Not always. Very little, right? We, we come with kind of this, I'll let you have a little bit. I'll share a little bit. Maybe. You know, i got to hear from the Lord. There, wasn't the, 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 there was this impetus for the Acts church, those who were just coming to Jesus, going, 
I, I just received the greatest gift of my life, salvation in the name of Jesus. I want, I'm all in. I'm all in. Every part of me, my whole life, what I own, what I possess, what, I, what the food I'm eating, the shirt on my back, I'm all in. God, if you need it, it's yours. And there was just this attitude. And, and here's what happened. And, and I love this Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, those f- first few chapters of Acts always stir my heart because I feel like there's a longing inside of me and there should be a longing inside of us for that kind of church. Now listen, I, I have friends who are like, well, we need to be more like the Acts church. And what they're talking about is more functionally. And I'm like, well, they were what they were because of the time that they were in, right? And so... Let's forget about the structure and talk more about the heart. What was, at the heart level, what was going on? Well, these people understood the difference between two words that I want to share with you, and I've talked about this before. See, I believe the church in the West, the modern church, we live in proximity to each other. We do not live in community with each other. We live in proximity not in community. And i got to tell you, Jesus never called us as a church to live in proximity. This is not an arm's length kind of engagement. This is a full embrace. A friend of mine says this, if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't shake your hand, he'd hug you. Right? He wouldn't shake your hand, he would give you a hug. Now some people, you're like, I'm not a hugger. That's, that's totally fine. I'll try and convince you otherwise. Um, but Jesus wouldn't shake your hand. He would hug you. There was this community, this, this closeness. In fact, those were the words in these two passages that we see. They were together. They, they had one mind. They were united. They shared. They gave the words like everything, which means everything. They were all in. And they were in each other's space and in each other's lives. They shared as many meals as they could together. They spent as much time together. And they still had responsibilities. They went to work. They did the things they needed to do. And as soon as they were done, they're like, we're going to the temple to go pray, be with our friends, and then we're going to go break bread. And then tomorrow, we're going to go do the same thing. I remember friends of ours, good, good, very dear friends of ours, years ago, we were on staff at a church, and um, they came to church and gave their lives to the Lord. And uh, it was their very, the first time they'd made a decision, they'd all kind of, they'd both been kind of around church, but had never connected, had never given their lives to Jesus. And I remember for the next two weeks, every single night, he would go to work during the day, and then he would get home, pick his wife up. They had one car, they had a little baby, baby boy, and they would come to our house, and, and no joke, every, every night for two weeks, they sat in our living room and asked us questions till two o'clock in the morning. Up to the point where we're like, okay, you got to go because we got to go to work. You got to go to the work. We got... and, and they would leave, and the next night they would be back going, we've got questions. Can we talk about this? Uh, that couple are still very good friends of ours, and whenever we hang out with them, we know this. We're not leaving before 2 o'clock in the morning. Can I tell you, we talk about the things of the Lord. Our conversation... Even if we tried to just talk about other stuff, it always comes back to God's word, to what God is speaking, to his love. And it's some of the most life-giving conversation. There's something so powerful about being in community, not just being in proximity. 
And I want to work today to help us understand the difference and give us some practical tools on how we can shift from the one to the other. Does that sound good? Everyone tracking with me this morning? We good? I feel like I'm a little fired up. I don't want to talk too fast, but get your listening ears on. All right. I'm going to have some visuals today and even a little video at the end. So if you need some different kind of engagement, hold on, it's coming. Here's the reality. Community and living in a loving community is hard work. Can I get an amen? amen. It is hard work, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In, in that way, you will be acting, listen to this, as true children of your Father in heaven. Anyone want to be a true child of God? Not a fake? Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. God, God does not withhold. Even from those who reject him, he does not withhold. Church, this kind of blows our mind a little bit. God blesses people even if sometimes they reject him. Now, what Christy shared is right on. As believers, as followers of Christ, as people who've come to an understanding and surrendered our lives, I mean, that's a different conversation because now we're, we know. And there needs to be obedience. But even in our disobedience, God call, still causes blessing to come. And I know our church is full of testimonies of that. Verse 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here Jesus equates loving people to living a perfect life. I, for my, pretty much my entire Christian walk, which has been a long time, have really tried not to make mistakes, not to sin, not to trip up, right? Anyone else? Okay, hopefully more than, than just a couple of you, because um, that's not a bad thing. But that's not the goal. The goal is to love. If I'm loving people the way Jesus loves people, the way God loves us, he says, I will be perfect like Jesus is. This is the goal. Is that an easy goal to attain? No. Perfection is not easy. But man, I'm going to do everything I can to reach it. Living in community is not easy. It's hard, hard, hard work. I have a friend who says this, ministry would be so much easier if it weren't for the people, <laughs> right? Because it's true. We, we can be tough, all of us. We have our moments, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Last week, I shared a story about my neighbor down in Orange County who 
uh, we had just moved into this house, and they had this barking dog. He was a big boxer, and so it wasn't just a little bark. It was a big, throaty, deep bark, and he barked and barked and barked and barked and barked, and I wish I could explain to you how much he barked. Um, and I think about it, it's still just, oh my goodness. Uh, and I'd shared even our closest pet lover friends, those who love pets more than, than anyone I've ever known, they come over, would come over to our house and they would be annoyed. That's how much this dog barked. And uh, uh, my encounter with this gentleman, whose name, by the way, his name is Dan, I'd uh, one afternoon, he, we had not met yet, and he was in the backyard, and I was in the backyard, and I kind of popped my head over the fence, and I was like, hey, how are you doing? Good to meet you. Hey, I just need to let you know, your dog barks a lot during the day when you're gone. And, and he kind of turned on his heels to face back at me, and then unleashed this volley of words that, <laughs> oh my goodness, um, it, it, was, it wasn't very nice. Um, and so my blood pressure went up. My face turned all red. And, you know, he's accusing my kids of doing stuff. Now I'm yelling at him, thinking in the back of my mind, I'm a pastor, shouldn't be doing this. But the words are coming out. And at some point in the, in the encounter, I yell at him, I'm just trying to be nice with this on my face, which wasn't, of course... Very nice. I want to continue the story, though, because I kind of left you guys there, and you're thinking, well, that wasn't very Christ-like of you. <laughs> I went back to him, met him. At first, I was like, I'm just going to avoid the guy, because I don't like confrontation. And so I would wa walk wide circles. I'd wait till he left or, you know, to, to be out front, because our in Orange County, the doors, the front doors are very close to each other, and so we'd have to see each other a lot. And he was always out front of his house watering the plants. Like, he had a sprinkler system, but he's always, like, with the hose. And I'm like, come on, Jesus. Um, give me a break here. <laughs> and finally, I just went up to him, and I actually introduced myself, and I said, hey, I, I need to apologize for, for yelling and, uh, and for what happened there started hearing a little bit of his story, and, and I, before I share kind of what was happening, know this, there's always a backstory. There's always something going on. When we encounter abrasive people or prickly people, our first response should be, man, I wonder what's going on in their life, right? That's not what we usually do. Who do they think they are? You can't talk to me like that, right? Oh, come on. Can we be real for a minute? I am such a nice person, and they just treated me like dirt, right? Lord, what's going on in their life? So I started talking to him. Turns out the dog didn't belong to him. In my, in my notes, I actually have here, dumb dog. The, the dog, <laughs> that's because it's still fresh for me. Turns out the dog... The dog belonged to his son, who was on deployment with the military overseas. Um, and so there was fear. And so I had picked on the one connection he had to his son, who was gone. Right? Also turns out that Dan was in the middle of kidney failure and was waiting for a transplant. And so he was in constant pain and fear of lo losing his life. Now, the good news is his son returned home safely. 
and he received the kidney transplant he, he needed and, in fact, got to pray with him and encourage him. There's always a backstory. And living in community is hard work, but it's worth it if we can get beyond ourselves and say, what's really going on here? What's really happening? Start loving people and extending ourselves and, and, and believing the best, which is even one of our core values as a church, that we would live in community and that we would extend grace, that we would believe the best about people's motives and their intentions, right? Because I believe that most people don't intend to be jerks. Amen? I think there's very few people on the planet who wake up every day going, I wonder how many people I can annoy and irritate and tick off today. We are people walking around wounded with hurt. And as the phrase goes, the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. And so if we are so thin-skinned and we don't allow the love of Jesus to to cover us, we're going to just add to that hurt, not help it. It's like the, the Levite that goes over and looks at this, the Jewish man on the side of the road, kind of inspects the wound, and then walks away, which I think is worse than the priest who just ignored it completely. We don't get our hands dirty. Uh, I want to really talk to you about what's going on in your life, because then you might actually tell me what's going on in your life, and I've got places to be and things to do. You never know what someone is really walking through. But when we find out, there's all of a sudden there's this grace. In fact, I found in a five-minute conversation with Dan, all of a sudden there was this love that I had for this man and this compassion that I had for this man. And, and the dumb dog stopped being an issue. Because there were bigger things that we had to deal with. Here's my question for us. What if we started there? And I'm not even talking outside of the church. I'm talking about right here. That we would start in a place where we believe the best, where we extend grace, where we love people, where we would ask simply the question, wow, I wonder what's going on in their lives that's causing them to have an off day. I've I've talked to people who have been in an argument with with others for years, even decades, because someone looked at them the wrong way. Oh my goodness. That's not the heart of God for us. See, we shouldn't jump to conclusions. We shouldn't take it personally. We should always believe the best. Why? Because it's better for your heart. It just is. Even physically, you want to reduce your stress, start believing the best about people. And it frees you up to love. I have three points I want to touch on today that I think are important for us to really lay hold of as a church, as a community, as people living in community, not in proximity. That we would be a people who live in community, not in proximity. The first is this, we need to be connected. We need to be connected. You know that there's nothing alive on this planet, nothing that grows, right, whether it's a plant or an animal or a person, there's nothing that lives and grows if it's not connected to something else, right? 
People need to be connected to people. Studies that they do with babies, uh, infants that are born uh, in, in orphanages, and, and these babies are, you know, they're brought to orphanages and they're never held as babies. And, and the studies they do of the effects that that has emotionally, spiritually, and physically in the development of that child and how stunted they are. They, they do things now in hospital as people uh, come out of surgery or dealing with issues. They bring in a, a pets and animals for them to, to, to love on. And, and just that connection actually helps uh, speed up the recovery for those patients. And even in nature, we find that with plants, that a plant or a tree can't grow if it's not connected to the soil, if it's not connected to the air around it, if it's not connected to the water that it needs, and if it's not connected to the sunshine that gets transformed and converted into energy and into food for that plant. It has to be connected. If you remove any one of those components, that, that plant will wither and die. I want to give a couple of illustrations of this. My illustration is titled. I, I titled my illustration, Redwoods and Junks, today. We're going to talk about redwoods and junks. See, in, in China, there's a, a, a people group called the Tonka people or the boat people. There's about 7,000 people who live in a village in this community, and they all live on boats in, on the water. Um, hardly ever even come on to land. Here's a picture of... Tonka Village. This is um, Aberdeen Harbor in Hong Kong. Um, 7,000 people live on these boats, these Chinese boats, which are called junks. And when you look at some of them, you're like, I can't believe that thing's afloat because it looks like junk, right? These boats, the reason they live in this, this proximity to each other is that there's, or this community really, is that there's safety. See, what happens is, is, of course, there's a line of boats. There's another picture I have as well. We can throw that up. Pretty amazing. Those are all boats that are tied to each other. See, there's, there's one row of boats that's actually tied to the shore. They're anchored to the shore. But as you move out from there, every one of these boats pulls up to the next one, and they tie off to the boat to their left and to their right and in front of them and behind them. And what it does is it allows those boats to be supported even if that boat starts to sink. The other boats around it will literally hold it up and prevent it from sinking. That part of the world, here we have hurricanes, there they have typhoons. Where a hurricane will pass by in a, in a, in a, in a few hours or, or a day, a typhoon will bring torrential rain for days and weeks on end to eventually... Right? There's no, no place for the water to go, and the ocean is stirred up. And, and so in this harbor tied together, there's this safety that these boats have. In the midst of this community, being tied to each other, being connected to each other, that supports their boats. The, the other illustration is that of the redwoods. We have the, the California or the coastal redwoods up in northern California, and then the giant sequoias. Uh, up towards Kings Canyon in that part of the nation. Here's some, a, a picture of a kid up in the coastal redwoods. Anyone ever been to the redwoods up to the sequoias? You got to see some of these trees. Pretty amazing. We can throw up that next picture. Just huge, huge, huge trees. Uh, the, the sequoias grow to around 275 feet. I believe the, the, the General Sherman, which is the tallest living organism in the world, 
is, is 275 feet and 25 feet in diameter. The, the sequoias or the, uh, the coastal redwoods up in Northern California grow to about 350 feet. They're a lot taller, uh, but their base is not as wide. We can put up this next picture. That's uh, one of the sequoias. These trees are amazing. But here's what's amazing about both the, the redwoods and the sequoias. While they grow to this enormous height, their root system never grows deeper than 10 feet. 10 feet. So imagine that. 10 feet, 350 feet. That's quite disproportionate. See, redwoods don't have what a lot of trees have. is called a taproot that goes really deep. They just have these surface roots that go out. And what ends up happening in these forests, in these groves, is the roots of these trees start growing into each other and, and, and intertwining themselves with each other to the point that redwood trees and, and the sequoias literally hold each other up because of the connection they have at the base. And they'll support each other and the, and the winds and the storms that come off the northern California coast, and those winds will blow in, and those trees will support each other and hold each other up. I believe that God's called us as the body of Christ to be like redwoods and junks. See, we can't live life disconnected. We can't live life disconnected. See, proximity is seemingly more comfortable but it is far less rewarding and fulfilling. Community takes work. It's risky, but the reward and the blessing is infinitely greater. We have to be connected. We have to be connected to God, of course. We have to be connected to God. We cannot live apart from our connection with God. But the greatest commandment was love God and love people. In fact, Jesus said that the second one is just like it or is of equal importance to the first one. So essentially what Jesus said was, be connected to God and be connected to people. You need both. Well, I just, I have my relationship with God and I'm good. I don't need anyone else in my life. No, you will shrivel and wither and die. Your heart will become bitter You'll become isolated and you become a target for the enemy. God says be connected to him and to people. Colossians 2, 18 through 19. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial. I love that. Pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. And they are not, listen to this, connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments as it grows, as God nourishes it. What was happening in the church in Colossae was um, there was these teachers that come into the church who, who felt like they had this special revelation. Colossians, Paul's addressing this special revelation. Oh, I've got something that's outside of the gospel that I've received from God that I need to pass on to you. And let me tell you, you need what I have to tell you, right? And so, yes, what Paul preached was great, but you also need this. And there was just some funkiness and weirdness that got in there. 
And so Paul's addressing that. And part of what he's addressing here is, is when he says there, this pious self-denial, it became this kind of, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Oh, wait, we have that now, don't we? Oh, my relationship with God. God just has me in this place. Or Just stop, right? Just stop. Because, because we're not all that. God loves his children equally. Can I just say that again? God loves his children equally. He welcomes you. As Christy said earlier, I love that. He just welcomes you. And so when we get funky and we get this theology that's like, oh, but you need to jump through this hoop and be like this. Paul says their sinful minds have made them proud. They think that there's something that they're really not. And they've lost their connection See, the humility before the Lord keeps us connected to our, our source of life. We have to stay connected to God. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Listen to this. I love this. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. Say it with me. You are not that. Okay. Say it with me. You are not that important. Is it not up there? Can we get that one up? Let's read this together. You guys are like, where are you going? If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Dang, that hurts, right? Come on. I read that and I was like, okay, I just need to go for a walk now. Share each other's burdens because when we do, we obey the law of Christ, which is what? Love God and love people. He wasn't talking about the 613 laws. He was talking about the most important ones. Love God and love people. And when we share each other's burdens, we're obeying the thing that God told us to do. Okay, so let me tell you what this passage says. It says, share each other's burdens. It means get into each other's lives and be connected to each other on, a, on more than just a surface level. Andrew, can I have you come up real quick? I, I could spend my entire relationship and friendship with Andrew. See, he already just wants to hug me, right? <laughs> but, but, but what he's saying is don't live this way. Hey, Andrew, you good? Mm-hmm. Everything all right in your life? Okay, I'm, see ya. He's not talking about an arm's length kind of relationship where I'm like, hey, because you know why I do this? Protect yourself. To protect myself because I love me more than I love you. Because, you know, and your life, your life might be a little bit messy and, well, frankly, my life is messy and I've got enough mess to deal with, so I don't need your burdens to be a part of... No, 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 share each other's burdens. And so there comes this, hey, I'm going to get close. I'm going to get in your space. I'm not going to put your head, my head on your shoulder. Not that close. <laughs> I'm going to get in your space. I'm getting, get in your life. 
I'm going to get to know you, and, and I love that Andrew's one of the guys I can actually say that about, that we've had some of those conversations, and um, on Friday it was fun, we were even talking about, well, we need, it's been a while, we need to have more of those conversations, thank you, bro. Um, share each other's burdens, but I'm, uh, P- Pastor Barry, you don't understand, I have enough burden. You know, there's no caveat here. There's no, oh, if, if you've got too much going on in your life, then don't worry, you know, we'll fi- I'll find someone else. Not the heart of God. Excuse me. Not the heart of God. He says, share each other's burdens. In fact, if, if one of you is overcome by sin, you know what? Cast that brother out. Cast that sister out. In fact, pull together a prayer meeting and just talk about them a little bit. Compare notes. No. Actually, go to that person and help restore them. What if they mess up again? Go again. And again, and again. Yeah, but Pastor Barry, that's hard work. Yep. But it is worth it. I have a young man who called me or texted me this week. He's been a part of my life for probably 15 years. And every now and again, he runs into trouble. And I'm so thankful that when he does, he feels the freedom to call me. He goes, I, I, need, I need some wisdom. I've got some, I'm making some bad decisions. Can I give you a call? I just thank God. I'm so humbled that he would reach out to me. We need people like that in our lives. And, and by the way, I love that it doesn't say this. The pastor needs to be the one that shares everyone's burdens. And, and, and I don't say that because I, want, I need less to do. If, if you know me, you know my heart. Megan's the same way. We want to we be there for you. We want to stand with you. But we are limited. This isn't an instruction to the leadership. What Paul's not saying is, hey, can you make sure you develop a program in your church? Amen? What he's saying is, you, the church... The body who are connected to God need to be connected to each other and share each other's burdens and be in each other's lives and be connected in such a way that if someone's had a bad week, that someone else could actually say, I know what they're going through. Because so few people in our culture, and I would even guess in our church, if you've had a rough week and I had to ask you, hey, who in your circle, who in your life would be able to articulate to me what you've been walking through this week, very few people would have someone who could do that. Because we live in proximity and not in community. I don't want to bother people. Can, Can I just tell you, please bother people, just bug them. Because most people are hoping that someone will bother them because then it gives them permission to bother someone else. And it's not a bother, it's a blessing that we get to be this for each other. I'm reading a book right now and I I highly recommend it. It's a book called Changes That Heal by Henry Cloud. It's a, a Christian psychiatrist and really anything he's written is phenomenal, so grab it. And if you do happen to read it, you're gonna hear some similarities between what I'm speaking on this morning And what I read this week, he writes this, without relationship, without attachment to God and others, we can't be our true selves. We can't be truly human. And so that leads me to my next point. We need need to be connected, but we also need to be real. We need to be real. 
There's this thing called your true self, the real you. See, we, we grow up learning to hide who we really are and just show people what we think that they want to know or what we think they can handle. And so there's this part of us that remains hidden. Pete Scazzaro and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uses the iceberg. It's kind of that model where we see 10%, but there's 90% below the surface. My neighbor Dan, what I saw was the 10%, and the 10% was in pain. What I discovered, there was a whole lot below the surface that explained why the 10% was in pain. We learn to live this way and then we bring it into the church where all we ever do is show people what we want them to see, right? Which is why we have the pat answer when someone says, hey, how are you doing? Our answer is fine, which is baloney because you can't be fine all the time. You can't be fine all the time. Had a counselor once say to me, you're not okay, and that's okay. You're not okay, and that's okay. Now, I, I know this. When I say be real and let the true self come out, I would guess there's more than a handful of people who are like, I'm ready to run for the door. Because I understand this, that our true self gets hidden because of hurt and abuse and pain and dysfunction and addiction, and did I say pain? And so I can't be who I really am, because you know what, if I were, those people in the church, they'd run for the hills, they'd ask me not to come back, they'd distance themselves from me. And somehow the lie of the enemy has made its way into the church that that's who we are. And that's not who we are. Paul says, bear each other's burdens. Walk with each other in the darkest moments. When that brother, when that sister messes up, and I'm not talking about like, oh, we oh, I tripped up, right? Oh. No, when I'm like sprawled out on the floor and I smash my face into the ground and there's blood running down my face, out of my nose, and my knees are skinned and my el- that kind of fall. You know what I'm saying? That I could pick up the phone and call a brother or sister and say, I need to have a conversation. Can I just get real for a minute? Here's where I'm really at. If, if there's any desire that I have for our church, I have a lot of desires for our church. But, but if, I could, if, it, if I could hang one at the top of the list or pin one to the top of the list, it would be this. That we would be the realest church in town. That, that people would know, man, when you go in there, it's, it's just real. People are real. And, and, and they just talk about what's going on in their lives. And it's not easy. It's hard. But man, it's refreshing. That we would be a culture of grace and an atmosphere of grace, not be because Thrive Church, but because of Jesus Christ that says, come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened. And I will give you rest. And by the way, I'm going to use that person sitting next to you to help usher in that rest, to help alleviate that burden, to be Jesus with skin onto you. 
But we've got to be real and we've got to risk getting outside of ourselves and moving into a place where we would say, yes, I'm willing to go there. Now, listen, we have to be careful. What I'm not saying is find the next stranger, grab, grab him, take him to lunch, and it's just blah, right? Because that's not safe. By the way, Henry Cloud wrote another book called Safe People. Great book. And so we need to know that there's, there's a trust, and we move into a, a trust relationship. But, but here's the thing. We're having to reverse engineer this because we got off the rails at some point. This should just be the norm for us, church. Bear each other's burdens. Let's be real. Let's be the true self. See, because the danger is if all I ever present is my true self is that one day I'll be exposed and we walk in that fear. And with that, we have to also deal with our sin, which happens when we're connected to God. Last thing is this. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Now listen, I don't care what your Myers-Briggs is, right? What your disk analysis says, what your personality profile is. I don't care what that says. Every single one of us is called to be an encourager. I don't care if you have a chipper personality or you're a little bit more somber, right? Because here's what I know. People with somber personalities in front of the TV watching a football game, all of a sudden are very chipper. Right? So speaking of football, football's in full swing. NFL, I don't want to talk about the NFL today because my team's not doing well, so let's not go there. College. Last night, my boys were watching the UCLA-Stanford game. Blake is a huge Stanford fan. I don't know how that happened. He just is. And I'm sitting in the other room, and I can just tell by the cheering taking place. It really wasn't cheering. It was just more like shouting and screaming that awesome things were happening in this game. And I believe the final score was 54-38 or something like that. And, and, and Stanford won. Sorry to any Bruins fans in the house. I was just cracking up, though, sitting in the other room listening to the hoopla. The cheering, they weren't even in the stadium. And man, there was cheering happening like crazy. Anyone ever been there? Anyone ever been shouting at the TV? Come on, own it. Fess up. Let's, right? You go to a game. We've been going to Gavin's football games, and it's been a ton of fun, especially because GHS, Glendora High School freshman football, are currently undefeated. They've only given up two touchdowns this season, and they won their last game 48-6. to And so we're, we're having a blast. We're having a blast. And, and here's what was fun at the game on Thursday is you're watching the parents cheer. The coaches are cheering. Of course, the cheerleaders are cheering, and the song's still, still stuck in my head. Um, the, the, and the players are cheering. Everyone's just screaming their heads, or heads off, and the more we're cheering, the better they're doing. There is something so incredible in the power of cheering people on. Hebrews says that we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on from heaven. Moses and Noah and Abraham who've gone before Peter and Paul. And the Bible says they're watching our lives 
along with, of course, God the Father and God the Son, and the Holy Spirit who's present with us, and they are cheering us on, going, you can do this. You've got this. Hey, that obstacle, don't worry about it. God's going to get you through that. That trial, that sickness, that disease, that shortfall, that disappointment, God's with you. He's got you. He wants to get you through it. You can do this. And he's called us to stand with them, to partner our voices with each other in each other's lives, loving our neighbor and saying, come on, I know you're discouraged. We went to a funeral service yesterday over at Life Pacific. Beth Mead, who was a part of the, the staff, the, the team there, um, had also been a master's student at, at Life, uh, had passed away this last week or just over a week ago. And it was so amazing. This woman's legacy is this. She was such a cheerleader. And she would send notes and cards and, and, and words of encouragement to people. She would catch people walking across campus. One young man who stood up said, I was ready to leave the school. And for some reason, every time I got discouraged, Beth found me. She was in my way. And she would speak life and cheer me on. Older students had gone through the master's program saying, I was ready to give up. I was ready to be done. But then I received a letter from Beth. I got a note from Beth saying, you can do it. And now I'm standing here and I've graduated because of her encouragement. The power we have to cheer each other on. And, and the, heart, the heartbreaking is, is in this is in the church so often what we're doing with our words is not building up. We're tearing down. We've got to turn that around. I want to show you this little video. I found, came across this online, and it's about two minutes long. Check this out.
Can we be that kind of people? The Bible talks about kids getting the kingdom of God. It's that. What if, what if we were connected to more than just one person? That when I've got that hurdle in front of me, I can't get over. There's a group of people that come around me, link their arms together, protect me, speak life, cheer me on, and then the next thing you know, the thing that was impossible is no longer impossible. That's what love your neighbor looks like. That's what that means to be for us. Before we can do it out there, church, we need to be that here. Can we stand together? Should have got some Kleenex out today. Sorry about that. This morning, if, if you're hurting, if you're in pain, there's parts of your life that no one knows about, but only you are just kind of suffering in silence. Can I just say to you right now, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you're walking through that. I'm, I'm, I'm even more sorry that you're walking through that alone. My desire, my prayer for you is that you would find the love and the comfort and the peace and the healing of Jesus Christ. That you would find it through the Holy Spirit present in your life, but also through the people around you. Maybe risk. If you don't have a safe place, if you don't have someone to talk to, give me a call. I don't necessarily have that, I don't have to be that place, but I can help connect you with some people. That's one of the things Megan and love, I love doing. We love connecting people to each other. Church, let's be a church that loves. Starting here. Let's make it a little bit real too and practical in this. If there's, if there's something you have against a brother or sister that needs to be dealt with, would you please do that? Would you extend grace, but you, would you extend forgiveness? Would you extend humility? And let's watch God heal us on the inside so that we can have an impact for his kingdom and his glory to the ends of the earth. Father God, this morning, I thank you that you use pictures of trees and boats and little children to illustrate to us what your heart looks like, your intent for this place, the body of Christ, not just this church, but Lord, this is where we are today. And so our prayer for this church, my prayer for Thrive, is that we truly would thrive as men and women and children are connected in real community. That we learn to love each other and be a blessing in each other's lives. And we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a song. But before we do that, here's an easy way to get connected. Thrive groups start tomorrow night. Thrive groups are the best way, the easiest way to get connected to the lives of other people in our church. Because in Sunday morning, it's hard to do. So we have three Thrive groups that are meeting. The Echeverias right here. Wave your hands, you guys. 
are meeting on Monday nights. The Lynches are hosting a Thrive Group right there on Tuesday evening. And then we also have a, another Thrive Group meeting on Tuesday. Andrew, is Melissa in the house? Is she right? There you are. Uh, Andrew and Melissa are hosting a, also a group on Tuesday night. So Monday and Tuesday, so there's a couple of options. Be a part of a Thrive group. Risk a little bit. Make some time in your schedule and go do life together and watch what God does. Let's worship.